section fifteen of thrilling adventures by land and sea by james o brayman this librivox recording is in the public domain section fifteen a battle with snakes since the exhibitions in london of the two hindu snake charmers the first we believe who ever visited europe everything relating to serpents seems to have acquired additional interest many facts regarding the nature and habits of the various species have been published according much information and still greater astonishment waterton in his wanderings in south america and the antilles in eighteen twelve to twenty four relates some stories of so marvellous a character that coming from a less authentic source their truth might be reasonably doubted while in the region of mebri hill mr waterton long sought in vain for a serpent of large size and finally offered a reward to the negroes if they would find him one a few days afterward one of the natives followed by his little dog came to him with the information that a snake of respectable dimensions had been discovered a short distance up the hill and armed with an eight feet lance and accompanied by two negroes with cutlasses and the dog he at once departed to take a look at it mr waterton states that he was barefoot with an old hat check shirt and trousers on and a pair of braces to keep them up his snake ship was pointed out as lying at the roots of a large tree which had been torn up by a whirlwind but the remainder of the story shall be given in the traveller's own words i advanced up to the place slow and cautious the snake was well concealed but at last i made him out it was a culacanara not poisonous but large enough to have crushed any of us to death on measuring him afterward he was something more than fourteen feet long this species of snake is very rare and much thicker in proportion to its length than any other snake in the forest a culacanara of fourteen feet in length is as thick as a common boa of twenty-four feet after skinning this snake i could easily get my head into his mouth as the singular formation of the jaws admits of wonderful extension on ascertaining the size of the serpent i retired slowly the way i came and promised four dollars to the negro who had shown it to me and one dollar to the other who had joined us aware that the day was on the decline and that the approach of night would be detrimental to the dissection a thought struck me that i could take him alive i imagined that if i could strike him with the lance behind the head and pin him to the ground i might succeed in capturing him when i told this to the negroes they begged and entreated me to let them go for a gun and bring more force as they were sure the snake would kill some of us taking however a cutlass from one of the negroes and then ranging both the sable slaves behind me i told them to follow me and that i would cut them down if they offered to fly when we got up to the place the serpent had not stirred but i could see nothing of his head and judged by the folds of his body that it must be at the farthest side of the den a species of woodbine formed a complete mantle over the branches of the fallen tree almost impervious to the rain or the rays of the sun probably he had resorted to this sequestered place for a length of time as it bore marks of an ancient settlement 
i now took my knife determined to cut away the woodbine and break the twigs in the gentlest manner possible till i could get a view of his head one negro stood guard close behind me with a cutlass the cutlass which i had taken from the first negro was on the ground close beside me in case of need after working in dead silence for a quarter of an hour with one knee all the time on the ground i had cleared away enough to see his head it appeared coming out between the first and second coils of his body and was flat on the ground this was the very position i wished it to be in i rose in silence and retreated very slowly making a sign to the negroes to do the same the dog was sitting at a distance in mute observance i could now read in the faces of the negroes that they considered this a very unpleasant affair and they made another vain attempt to persuade me to let them go for a gun i smiled in a good-natured manner and made a feint to cut them down with the weapon i had in my hand this was all the answer i made to their request and they looked very uneasy it must be observed that we were about twenty yards from the snake's den i now ranged the negroes behind me and told him who stood next to me to lay hold of the lance the moment i struck the snake and that the other must attend my movements it now only remained to take their cutlasses from them for i was sure that if i did not disarm them they would be tempted to strike the snake in time of danger and thus forever spoil his skin on taking their cutlasses from them if i might judge from their physiognomy they seemed to consider it as a most intolerable act of tyranny probably nothing kept them from bolting but the consolation that i was betwixt them and the snake indeed my own heart in spite of all i could do beat quicker than usual we went slowly on in silence without moving our arms or heads in order to prevent all alarm as much as possible lest the snake should glide off or attack us in self-defence i carried the lance perpendicularly before me with the point about a foot from the ground the snake had not moved and on getting up to him i struck him with the lance on the near side just behind the neck and pinned him to the ground that moment the negro next to me seized the lance and held it firm in its place while i dashed head foremost into the den to grapple with the snake and to get hold of his tail before he could do any mischief on pinning him to the ground with the lance he gave a tremendous loud hiss and the little dog ran away howling as he went we had a sharp fray in the den the rotten sticks flying on all sides and each party struggling for superiority i called out to the second negro to throw himself upon me as i found i was not heavy enough he did so and the additional weight was of great service i had now got a firm hold of his tail and after a violent struggle or two he gave in finding himself overpowered this was the moment to secure him so while the first negro continued to hold the lance firmly to the ground and the other was helping me i contrived to unloosen my braces and with them tied the snake's mouth the snake now finding himself in an unpleasant predicament tried to better himself and set resolutely to work but we overpowered him we contrived to make him twist himself round the shaft of the lance and then prepared to convey him out of the forest i stood at his head and held it firm under my arm one negro supporting the belly and the other the tail 
in this order we began to move slowly toward home and reached it after resting ten times for the snake was too heavy for us to support without stopping to recruit our strength as we proceeded onward with him he fought hard for freedom but it was all in vain we untied the mouth of the bag kept him down by main force and then cut his throat the week following a curious conflict took place near the spot where i had captured the large snake in the morning i had been following a species of paroquet and the day being rainy i had taken an umbrella to keep the gun dry and had left it under a tree in the afternoon i took daddy quashi the negro with me to look for it while he was searching about curiosity led me toward the place of the late scene of action there was a path where timber had formerly been dragged along here i observed a young kulakanara ten feet long slowly moving onward and i saw he was thick enough to break my arm in case he got twisted around it there was not a moment to be lost i laid hold of his tail with the left hand one knee being on the ground and with the right hand i took off my hat and held it as i would hold a shield for defence the snake instantly turned and came on at me with his head about a yard from the ground as if to ask me what business i had to take such liberties with his tail i let him come hissing and open-mouthed within two feet of my face and then with all the force that i was master of drove my fist shielded by my hat full in his jaws he was stunned and confounded by the blow and ere he could recover himself i had seized his throat with both hands in such a position that he could not bite me i then allowed him to coil himself around my body and marched off with him as my lawful prize he pressed me hard but not alarmingly so Estille's defeat in the spring of seventeen eighty two a party of twenty-five wyandots secretly approached Estille's station and committed shocking outrages entering a cabin they tomahawked and scalped a woman and her two daughters the neighborhood was instantly alarmed captain Estille speedily collected a body of twenty-five men and pursued the hostile trail with great rapidity he came up with the savages on hinkston fork of licking immediately after they had crossed it and a most severe and desperate conflict ensued Estille, unfortunately sent six of his men under lieutenant miller to attack the enemy's rear the indian leader immediately availed himself of this diminution of force rushed upon the weakened line of his adversaries and compelled him to give way a total rout ensued captain Estille was killed together with his gallant lieutenant south four men were wounded and fortunately escaped nine fell under the tomahawk and were scalped the indians also suffered severely and are believed to have lost half of their warriors incident at niagara falls on saturday the thirteenth of july eighteen fifty as a boy ten years old was rowing his father over to their home on grand island the father being so much intoxicated as not to be able to assist any more than to steer the canoe the wind which was very strong off shore so frustrated the efforts of his tiny arm that the canoe in spite of him got into the current and finally into the rapids within a very few rods of the falls 
on went the frail shell careering and plunging as the mad waters chose still the gallant little oarsman maintained his struggle with the raging billows and actually got the canoe by his persevering manoeuvring so close to iris island as to have her driven by a providential wave in between the little islands called the sisters here the father and his dauntless boy were in still greater danger for an instant for there is a fall between the two islands over which had they gone no earthly power could have withheld their final passage to the terrific precipice which forms the horseshoe fall but the sudden dash of a wave capsized the canoe and left the two struggling in the water being near a rock and shallow the boy lost no time but seizing his father by the coat collar dragged him up to a place of safety where the crowd of anxious citizens awaited to lend assistance the poor boy on reaching the shore in safety instantly fainted while his miserable father was sufficiently sobered by the perils he had passed through the canoe was dashed to pieces on the rocks ere it reached its final leap a skater chased by a wolf a thrilling incident in american country life is vividly sketched in evenings at donelson manor in the winter of eighteen forty four the relator went out one evening to skate on the kennebec in maine by moonlight and having ascended that river nearly two miles turned into a little stream to explore its course fir and hemlock of a century's growth he says met overhead and formed an archway radiant with frostwork all was dark within but i was young and fearless and as i peered into an unbroken forest that reared itself on the borders of the stream i laughed with very joyousness my wild hurrah rang through the silent woods and i stood listening to the echo that reverberated again and again until all was hushed suddenly a sound arose it seemed to me to come from beneath the ice it sounded low and tremulous at first until it ended in a low wild yell i was appalled never before had such a noise met my ears i thought it more than mortal so fierce and amid such an unbroken solitude it seemed as though from the tread of some brute animal and the blood rushed back to my forehead with a bound that made my skin burn and i felt relieved that i had to contend with things earthly and not spiritual my energies returned and i turned around me for some means of escape as i turned my head to the shore i could see two dark objects dashing through the underbrush at a pace nearly double in speed to my own by this rapidity and the short yells they occasionally gave i knew at once that these were the much dreaded gray wolf i had never met with these animals but from the description given of them i had very little pleasure in making their acquaintance their untamable fierceness and the enduring strength which seems part of their nature render them objects of dread to every benighted traveller there was no time for thought so i bent my head and dashed madly forward nature turned me toward home the light flakes of snow spun from the iron skates and i was some distance from my pursuers when their fierce howl told me i was their fugitive i did not look back 
i did not feel afraid or sorry or even glad one thought of home the bright faces waiting my return of their tears if they should never see me again and then every energy of body and mind was exerted for escape i was perfectly at home on the ice many were the days i had spent on my good skates never thinking that at one time they would be my only means of safety every half-minute an alternate yelp from my ferocious followers told me too certain that they were in close pursuit nearer and nearer they came i heard their feet pattering on the ice nearer still until i could feel their breath and hear their sniffling scent every nerve and muscle in my frame was stretched to the utmost tension the trees along the shore seemed to dance in the uncertain light and my brain turned with my own breathless speed yet still they seemed to hiss forth their breath with a sound truly horrible when an involuntary motion on my part turned me out of my course the wolves close behind unable to stop and as unable to turn on the smooth ice slipped and fell still going on far ahead their tongues were lolling out their white tusks glaring from their bloody mouths their dark shaggy breasts were fleeced with foam and as they passed me their eyes glared and they howled with fury the thought flashed on my mind that by these means i could avoid them viz by turning aside whenever they came too near for they by the formation of their feet were unable to run on the ice except in a straight line at one time by delaying my turning too long my sanguinary antagonists came so near that they threw the white foam over my dress as they sprang to seize me and their teeth clashed together like the spring of a fox-trap had my skates failed for an instant had i tripped on a stick or caught my foot in a fissure in the ice the story i am now telling would never have been told i thought over all the chances i knew where they would take hold of me if i fell i thought how long it would be before i died and then there would be a search for the body that would already have its tomb for oh how fast man's mind traces out all the dread colours of death's picture only those who have been so near the grim original can tell but i soon came opposite the house and my hounds i knew their deep voices roused by the noise bayed furiously from the kennels i heard their chains rattle how i wished they would break them and then i would have protectors that would be peer to the fiercest denizens of the forest the wolves taking the hint conveyed by the dogs stopped in their mad career and after a moment's consideration turned and fled i watched them until their dusky forms disappeared over a neighbouring hill then taking off my skates i wended my way to the house with feelings which may be better imagined than described but even yet i never see a broad sheet of ice in the moonshine without thinking of the sniffling breath and those fearful things that followed me closely down the frozen kennebec our flag on the rocky mountains we find the following incident of placing the american flag on the highest point of the rocky mountains in colonel fremont's narrative we managed to get our mules up to a little bench about a hundred feet above the lakes where there was a patch of good grass and turned them loose to graze during our rough ride to this place they had exhibited a wonderful sure-footedness 
parts of the defile were filled with angular sharp fragments of rock three or four and eight or ten feet cube and among these they had worked their way leaping from one narrow point to another rarely making a false step and giving us no occasion to dismount having divested ourselves of every unnecessary encumbrance we commenced the ascent this time like experienced travellers we did not press ourselves but climbed leisurely sitting down so soon as we found breath beginning to fail at intervals we readied places where a number of springs gushed from the rocks and about eighteen hundred feet above the lakes came to the snow line from this point our progress was uninterrupted climbing hitherto i had worn a pair of thick moccasins with soles of parfleche but here i put on a light thin pair which i had brought for the purpose as now the use of our toes became necessary to a further advance i availed myself of a sort of comb of the mountain which stood against the wall like a buttress and which the wind and the solar radiation joined to the steepness of the smooth rock had kept almost entirely free from snow up this i made my way rapidly our cautious method of advancing at the outset had spared my strength and with the exception of a slight disposition to headache i felt no remains of yesterday's illness in a few minutes we reached a point where the buttress was overhanging and there was no other way of surmounting the difficulty than by passing around one side of it which was the face of a vertical precipice of several hundred feet putting hands and feet in the crevices between the blocks i succeeded in getting over it and when i reached the top found my companions in a small valley below descending to them we continued climbing and in a short time reached the crest i sprang upon the summit and another step would have precipitated me into an immense snowfield five hundred feet below to the edge of this field was a sheer icy precipice and then with a gradual fall the field sloped off for about a mile until it struck the foot of another lower ridge i stood on a narrow crest about three feet in width with an inclination of about twenty degrees north fifty one degrees east as soon as i had gratified the first feelings of curiosity i descended and each man ascended in his turn for i would only allow one at a time to mount the unstable and precarious slab which it seemed a breath would hurl into the abyss below we mounted the barometer in the snow of the summit and fixing a ramrod in a crevice unfurled the national flag to wave in the breeze where flag never waved before during our morning's ascent we had met no signs of animal life except a small sparrow-like bird a stillness the most profound and a terrible solitude forced themselves constantly on the mind as the great features of the place here on the summit where the stillness was absolute unbroken by any sound and solitude complete we thought ourselves beyond the region of animated life but while we were sitting on the rock a solitary bee bromus the humble bee came winging his flight from the eastern valley and lit on the knee of one of the men 
it was a strange place the icy rock and the highest peak of the rocky mountains for a lover of warm sunshine and flowers and we pleased ourselves with the idea that he was the first of his species to cross the mountain barrier a solitary pioneer to foretell the advance of civilization i believe that a moment's thought would have made us let him continue his way unharmed but we carried out the law of this country where all animated nature seems at war and seizing him immediately put him in at least a fit place in the leaves of a large book among the flowers we had collected on our way running the canyon Colonel Fremont, in his narrative, gives the following account of a perilous adventure of himself and party in attempting to run a canyon on the River Platte. They had previously passed three cataracts. We re-embarked at nine o'clock and in about twenty minutes reached the next canyon. Landing on a rocky shore at its commencement, we ascended the ridge to reconnoiter. Portage was out of the question so far as we could see the jagged rocks pointed out the course of the canyon in a winding line of seven or eight miles it was simply a narrow dark chasm in the rock and here the perpendicular faces were much higher than in the previous pass being at this end two to three hundred and further down as we afterward ascertained five hundred feet in vertical height our previous success had made us bold and we determined again to run the canyon everything was secured as firmly as possible and having divested ourselves of the greater part of our clothing we pushed into the stream to save our chronometer from accident mr preuss took it and attempted to proceed along the shore on the masses of rock which in places were piled up on either side but after he had walked about five minutes everything like shore disappeared and the vertical wall came squarely down into the water he therefore waited until we came up an ugly pass lay before us we had made fast to the stern of the boat a strong rope about fifty feet long and three of the men clambered along among the rocks and with this rope let her slowly through the pass in several places high rocks lay scattered about in the channel and in the narrows it required all our strength and skill to avoid staving the boat on the sharp points in one of these the boat proved a little too broad and stuck fast for an instant while the water flew over us fortunately it was but for an instant as our united strength forced her immediately through the water swept overboard only a sextant and a pair of saddlebags. I caught the sextant as it passed by me, but the saddlebags became the prey of the whirlpools. We reached the place where Mr. Preuss was standing, took him on board, and with the aid of the boat put the men with the rope on the succeeding pile of rocks. We found this passage much worse than the previous one, and our position was rather a bad one. To go back was impossible before us the cataract was a sheet of foam and shut up in the chasm by the rocks which in some places seemed almost to meet overhead the roar of the water was deafening we pushed off again but after making a little distance the force of the current became too great for the men on shore and two of them let go the rope 
la jeunesse the third man hung on and was jerked head foremost into the river from a rock about twelve feet high and down the boat shot like an arrow basile following us in the rapid current and exerting all his strength to keep in mid-channel his head only seen occasionally like a black spot in the white foam how far we went i do not exactly know but we succeeded in turning the boat into an eddy below Dieu, said basile la jeunesse as he arrived immediately after us je crois bien que je nage un demi mile he had owed his life to his skill as a swimmer and i determined to take him and two others on board and trust to skill and fortune to reach the other end in safety we placed ourselves on our knees with the short paddles in our hands the most skilful boatman being at the bow and again we commenced our rapid descent we cleared rock after rock and shot past fall after fall our little boat seeming to play with a cataract we became flushed with success and familiar with danger and yielding to the excitement of the occasion broke forth into a canadian boat song singing or rather shouting we dashed along and were i believe in the midst of the chorus when the boat struck a concealed rock immediately at the foot of a fall which whirled her over in an instant three of my men could not swim and my first feeling was to assist them and save some of our effects but a sharp concussion or two convinced me that i had not yet saved myself a few strokes brought me into an eddy and i landed on a pile of rocks at the left side looking round i saw that mr preuss had gained the shore on the same side about twenty yards below and a little climbing and swimming soon brought him to my side on the opposite side against the wall lay the boat bottom up and lambert was in the act of saving Descoteau, whom he had grasped by the hair and who could not swim for a hundred yards below the current was covered with floating books and boxes bales and blankets and scattered articles of clothing and so strong and boiling was the stream that even our heavy instruments which were all in cases kept on the surface and the sextant circle and the long black box of the telescope were in view at once for a moment i felt somewhat disheartened all our books almost every record of the journey our journals and registers of astronomical and barometrical observations had been lost in a moment but it was no time to indulge in regrets and i immediately set about endeavouring to save something from the wreck making ourselves understood as well as possible by signs for nothing could be heard in the roar of the waters we commenced our operations of everything on board the only article that had been saved was my double-barrelled gun which Descoteau had caught and clung to with drowning tenacity the men continued down the river on the left bank mr preuss and myself descended on the side we were on and la jeunesse with a paddle in his hand jumped on the boat alone and continued down the canyon she was now light and cleared every bad place with much less difficulty in a short time he was joined by lambert and the search was continued for about a mile and a half which was as far as the boat could proceed in the pass here the walls were about five hundred feet high and the fragments of rocks from above had choked the river into a hollow pass but one or two feet above the surface 
through this and the interstices of the rock the water found its way favored beyond our expectations all our registers had been recovered with the exception of one of my journals which contained the notes and incidents of travel and topographical descriptions a number of scattered astronomical observations principally meridian altitudes of the sun and our barometrical register west of laramie fortunately our other journals contained duplicates of the most important barometrical observations in addition to these we saved the circle and these with a few blankets constituted everything that had been rescued from the waters End of section fifteen